You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Well, we have been going through a sermon series called Life in New Creation. And I'm going to start off just doing kind of a quick recap of, of where we've walked so far. Reese began leading us through Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 13, talking about the common problem that every human has, you, me, every one of us. In the very beginning, Adam and Eve created into a perfect environment in the image of God, perfect relationship. And yet someone sowed doubt in the mind, doubt that God was giving him everything that was possible for them. They doubted the heart of God. They went looking for something beyond what they had already been given. They sinned. And in that sin, every man and woman that followed them experienced the power of separation from that incredible relationship that God invited us into in the very beginning. When he fashioned man from the dirt and breathed his own breath of life into him. That relationship was broken. And Reese came back, spoke to us from Jeremiah, chapter 2, verse 13. The title of that sermon was Empty Wells. You know, when you've lost something and you regret it, and you're trying to find it again, you often go looking for love in all the wrong places. An old country song that some of y'all might know about. And the history of mankind has been that very trail. That thing that we lost through sin. That unique place of relationship with the heart of God. We started looking for how do we find that again. And we looked every place but the one place. We tried to find it for ourselves. And the hurt just got deeper. We drank from places that were not good from us. Our ancestors did it. We've done it. This may come as a shock that every one of us sitting here at some point in time has been guilty of that right there. And it's only by the grace of God that we get past it. And Mary Margaret took us through a teaching in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, talking about the power of sowing and reaping. The more we sow into the wrong wells, the more we sow into looking for the places that God's not, the more we're going to reap bad things. We find out the hard way that who we focus on, what we focus on, it's going to determine who and what we experience and who and what we become. If we're not truly focused on the reality of heart of God for us, we start absorbing identity that he didn't mean for us to have. And we start living 
from those identities that were never meant for us. Roger took us through 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. I'm not a preacher. I can't do things like Roger does. I'm just going to keep this real simple, okay? This is a list of a lot of values, internal, external, that, that we tend to, to do. We tend to take to ourselves. We tend to look for it. If, if we can actually connect with the God-centered power of this set of values, knowledge, not just knowledge of me and knowledge of the world around me, but knowledge of him and all that he has promised, the virtue of self-control, don't let the world around you control how you respond to things, okay? The way, I, the way I control or self-control must be directed from the truths that I'm taking in from my relationship with God the Father. Perseverance. I hate that word. How about you? I want it easy. I want to be able to reach out and take hold of it and, and make it work right away. It hasn't happened that often in my life. I don't know about yours. Perseverance is an incredibly important value. And in a quick fix society, it's hard to find. Godliness. How do we define godliness? Being nice? Having people like us? Sometimes some of the characteristics of godliness is going to mean that some people just aren't going to like you. Okay. This virtue of godliness means that we carry something of him, the image of him releases through what people experience when they come around us. And it's supposed to be very attractive. But when we're coming from the wrong mindset, we distort this virtue of godliness and we can quickly become very repulsive to people who are looking for answers. Kindness. You can't have godliness apart from kindness. The nature of God's heart is incredibly kind, loving, generous, Kindness is not an easy virtue to live in. Because many of us are living out life having experienced the exact opposite of kindliness from people who've interacted with our lives. And we carry the marks of it. We can't avoid it. If we're going to rub shoulders with people out there, sometimes we're going to get hurt. We can't let the hurt that they bring into our lives affect the nature of who we are called to be. And this virtue of kindliness, or kindness, is a fruit 
of being able to take the hurt that the world might bring into us, filter it through God's filter, and not be marred by it. And then love. If God is love, and I've come to believe that he truly is, we would expect that his creation would reflect that love into the world around us. Have you found that some people are hard to love? I have. In fact, I've been told I can be pretty hard to love. Then Reese came back up and he spoke to us from the 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 on repentance and confession. Two hard words. Hard words. Confession means I say I'm sorry. I did something wrong. I sinned against the heart of God. I sinned against a brother or a sister. And in doing so, I hurt the heart of my father. Repentance means that I turn away from all of the impulses and thought processes that cause me to need to confess. If I'm going to live in fellowship... Fellowship with God means a true relational connection at the heart level. And if I'm going to be there, the fruit of that must be that I can admit when I've done something that I shouldn't have done. And that I can turn away from the thought processes and the feelings that pushed me into doing that act that I shouldn't have done. If God said it's sin, I don't have a say in the matter. I don't get to define what sin or offense is outside of what he says it is. Something our society and culture has kind of lost track of. I'm going to talk some today from Matthew chapter 18 on the topic of forgiveness from the heart. But I want to warn you ahead of time that I'm going to do this from the perspective of someone who has spent a lot of the last many, too many years maybe, praying with people who are hurt in deep ways from the impact of living life with broken people. Life hurts at times. Okay? We have to be real about it. And sometimes the hurt is deep. And sometimes it's just plain brutal. And we get impacted by it as we walk through this life. We know that God calls us to forgive. Even as he has forgiven. 
Sounds great. Not so easy when you've been stepped on, bruised, and crushed by life. Okay? We carry the marks of the wounds, and we tend to carry it deep in here. Throwing in another little country song reference. When it comes to this, forgiveness ain't no thinking thing. I can't think my way into forgiveness. Because forgiveness comes from the heart. A heart that has been wounded in many cases, sometimes ripped and torn. It's hard to step from that place into the forgiveness that God calls us to, which is sacrificial forgiveness. I hate that word too. It's hard. And just so you guys know that Reese has a sort of twisted sense of humor, for this particular teaching, he picked the guy whose own mother looked at him and said, Call me a cold-hearted, expletive deleted. Okay. <clears throat> Which was true in those days. Very true in those days. At a very early age, I took on the identity of a hardcore Marine. And I lived out that identity for six years before I went in the Marine Corps and 23 years thereafter. And but for the grace of that lady who's sitting back there, I would probably still be that person. But God, okay? Fortunately, there's always the opportunity for that but God. He came crashing into my life in such a way that there was no denying. He made himself very real. First, preparing my heart through her love. And then drawing me to that place to face my own brokenness. And in that place, he revealed the fullness of his heart. And in that place, my own heart was renewed, rebuilt, refashioned. I'm going to first read, I like the Passion Translation. Uh, A lot of people just go like this to the Passion Translation because it's not sanctioned or whatever. The guy who wrote it is a deep theologian. He just happens to think from the viewpoint of someone who treasures the Aramaic heart understandings of scriptures. And since this is about heart, I thought I would look there first. I'm going to have to put my glasses on, so give me a moment. Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. Jesus is talking about what's necessary for restoring broken relationships. We've all had a few of those in our lives, probably. And he's particularly talking about relationships within the body, the followers those who believe that they are of Christ. We call it the church these days. It starts out by saying, if your fellow believer sins against you, 
excuse me, you must go to that one privately and attempt to resolve the matter. When we kind of chew on it in here and in here, when we've been offended and someone sinned against us, that usually doesn't do much good to resolve the issue. Because the more we internalize the problem, the bigger the problem gets and the bigger the sense of offense gets and the harder it is to resolve it with the person who hurt us or offended us within the body of Christ. In verse 18, Jesus tells them, Receive this truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be considered to be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you release on earth will be considered to be released in heaven. If I choose to hold on to the offense, if I choose to nurture the offense in my heart, it's not going to go away. I can, I can speak rote words of forgiveness because, okay, I guess I'm supposed to. But that's all up here. Remember the song title? Say no thinking thing. Forgiveness has to come from here. If, if I'm only speaking words of forgiveness, but they're not connected to a change in my heart over the situation, I'm still owning the hurt. And the enemy of my soul knows I'm still owning the hurt, and he still has room to play. But if I can connect to the heart of the Father, if I can receive from Him the nature that He has wanted me to have, the nature of His heart, which forgave me a whole lot, probably some of y'all too, <clears throat> He didn't hold it against me. He doesn't remember it. In fact, somewhere it says He cast it as far as east as from the west. He doesn't remember it at all. Okay. From the heart... I have to come to that place that forgives the hurt, that forgives the one who did the hurting. Okay. Then the power of that hurt is nullified in my body, in my heart, in my mind, my thinking, the way I interact with the world around me. When I get to that place, all of heaven says, canceled. It's clean. That's the offer that God has given us when we truly forgive from the heart. A lot of years of working with people who have been badly hurt sinned against in grievous ways. It's incredibly hard. Incredibly hard. That's not just a snap of the finger thing we're talking about here. Therapy and counseling are great and they will help you process some things. But healing comes through forgiveness. And sometimes forgiveness 
is a hard pill to swallow. We understand mentally that we're supposed to forgive. And so as good Christians, we'll say the words. We think we, we, think we meant it. But, you know, we're trying to be real with God. But somewhere down in here, we're still nurturing the pain. Because it did something to our sense of self. It marred the identity that God gave us in the beginning. And that has to be rebuilt. That has to be recovered for us to move on. And we don't have the power to do that in and of ourselves. I'm going to share a story with you. This person is not a part of our church, never was a part of our church. He had a girlfriend who knew somebody in the church, who knew something about Patty and I. He was military. He was struggling for years after an experience. She came and asked, is there anything you guys can do to help? And I invited him to come and sit and talk. We met right out there in the little cafe lobby, okay? Uh, he's got a cup of coffee. I've got a glass of water. and Just asked him to start sharing his story. As a young 19-year-old Army specialist, he was in the conflict that we've spent way too much time in in Southwest Asia. And in his unit, he was the designated rifleman, which means he was the sniper for his unit. His unit was given a mission to do a just a walk through, checking out this one little village, just a sensing session, so to speak. What's the temperature or what's the nature of the folks in this village? He's assigned to go to a, a little knoll that overlooked the village from the side. And his unit just sends in a small handful of people just to make initial contact. And as they're stepping in to make this initial contact, they start receiving fire from one of the buildings in this little village. Contact team falls back. His officer radios him, says, we're going to send in a reinforce unit Watch that building because that's where the fire came from. If anybody runs out of that building with an arm, with weapons, you do what you're paid to do. Kill them. So here's this 19-year-old young man in the middle of a war with a hard set of orders. This group starts moving back in. They start taking fire. And then shortly thereafter, five people all dressed in black start running out the back of that building. They're all carrying weapons. He did what he's paid to do. Dropped off five of them. He had to kill them. That's his orders. Protecting his people. And when all the dust settles, he joins the folks, comes down, and what you do is... You search bodies for actionable intelligence. 
Do they have any papers on them that might lead you to somebody higher up the chain? So he's starting to search the bodies of the people that he just killed. Third person he rolls over, a young woman. And as he's telling me his story, right at that moment as he's describing, turning that body over and seeing that face, I stopped him right there because I could see it. Every post-traumatic stress issue he had been dealing with for seven years happened right there in that moment. He saw that woman's face and he killed her. And it violated every ethical rule that he had ever been raised to believe. And it destroyed his sense of self. His life spun out from that point on. Two years with VA therapy and psychology didn't help. The drugs didn't help. Okay. But his girlfriend asked him to come talk to a preacher. I don't think of myself as a preacher because I'm not that good at it. But I do know the heart of God because I have experienced the heart of God. And I have had some decent training in how to help people connect to the heart of God. So I just sat with him and let him tell a story. And I stopped him right there. And I said, let me ask you this question. If you had known that was a woman before you pulled the trigger in obedience of your orders, would you have pulled that trigger? And he's like, no! I said, there. That's your truth. That's the truth of who you truly are. Let's pray right there. Right at that spot. Right at that truth. The truth that was destroyed in that one moment. Let's pray right there. And we prayed right there. And he cried out from the deepest part of who he truly was. In deep repentance. And God touched his heart afresh. I got a call from the girlfriend two weeks later. They had been able to go out, take her kids to the zoo, spend a whole day at the zoo, going to dinners, able to interact with people in a very normal fashion. That exercise of repentance and rediscovering the true heart of who he was that had been so violated in that act turned his life around. And many people who sit in churches every day, including this one, still carry deep inside the broken images from their past that are still defining their sense of self today. And we don't need to. God has made a way Forgiveness from the heart. When we bring the pain of the heart, and sometimes that pain is our own self-accusation. I did this. I am guilty of this sin. 
This is who I am because this is what I did. And we just can't connect with the heart of God, which is to say, well, if you just bring it to me, I will take it from you and you don't have to bear it anymore. That's what confession is. Okay? It's an exchange. I come bearing the burden of my brokenness, the burden of my guilt, my shame, whatever it is. And I choose to confess it into your hands and release it through repentance. I will no longer agree with this false definition because you said, whosoever believes in my son, I will forgive their sins and they will be as they never were. We're the ones who hold on to it, not him. Matthew 18, verse 35. Now, this was, a te- this was a sad story when you read the whole thing. But it is an example of the heart of God. Jesus is telling the story of a, of a of a king and, and one of his servants. And he calls a servant to him to demand repayment of a debt. And the servant's like, I don't have anything to give you. And this, this king is like, oh, well, we're going to cast you into prison. We're going to torture you until I get what I'm owed. So sometimes we kind of confuse God with that phrase. Okay. Even though he, King then forgives the debt, totally forgives a debt that this man could not pay in any way, shape, or form. Total freedom. The guy leaves the presence of the ruler, goes out, and the first person he meets that owes him something, jumps on him, grabs him by the throat, and says, pay me what you owe me. The guy can't pay. So he turns him over to the jailers. King hears about it, calls the guy back in. Uh, Did you miss the whole lesson about forgiveness that you encountered with me? Obviously you did. So now you're going to prison and the jailers will torture you. We have a jailer called Satan and he loves to torture us in these places. Okay? Jesus tells the story of this, this interaction with the king. And he sums it up in this statement. The guy who had been forgiven, turned around, didn't forgive somebody else, goes to jail. In this same way, my heavenly father will deal with any of you if you do not release forgiveness from your heart towards your fellow believer. Now, when Jesus makes a point of using those forgiveness from your heart words, I would encourage us all to pay close attention. Forgiveness is a heart issue. I've been forgiven much. And as a result, I can forgive much. 
That's the lifestyle we're called to. That's the identity that we're called to live from. Because as we're able to live that way, guess who people see? They see him. And that's who we're supposed to be testifying to in the way we live our lives. If they can look at us and get a sense that this must be what Jesus is like, we're doing something right. But if they're looking at the way we interact in situations like this, and the first thought in their mind was, I didn't think Christians act, acted like that. That's pretty mean. Yeah, we maybe ought to rethink some things. The heart is a tricky, tricky place of ground. But a redeemed heart is a different place. A redeemed heart is a transformed heart, is a new creation heart. Okay? The challenge of this whole message series are we living the life of new creation? Are we exampling the power of new creation as we walk among people who are not part of this church? When people interact with us, do they sense something attractive? Do they have that sense that I didn't think it could be that way? Let me ask you some more questions. How did you get this way? How can you forgive this way? How can you love this way? That's the power of new creation life. And it's the journey that Christ made possible. When he stepped onto this earth, he lived out the new creation. He exampled it everywhere he went, everything he said, everything he did. And we are invited into that model. But we have to make a choice here. Much of the modern church has made a choice here. But I would challenge you that the way I see it, in many cases, it hasn't dropped. What was it, John's expression, that 16 or 18 inches from here to here? Up here is religion. Pure, simple religion which has destroyed many things over the life of this planet. Here is faith. Here is where love lives. Here is where forgiveness has its home. And here is where we radiate the reality of a risen Christ. This is what we are called to. This is the people we are called to be as kingdom people. And my invitation, oh heck, I'm an eight in the Enneagram. My challenge, if you're a little bit offended by something I said or the way I said it, maybe you need to do some business. Okay? If you still bear in your heart 
power of things that were done to you. If you still have those places where you do not, you just can't see yourself as redeemed, forgiven, loved, today's a good day to get some prayer. Just to get honest with him. Because this is what we're invited to. This is what freedom is all about. This is true freedom. I love the flag and I love all those national things of like freedom, but I found where true freedom lies. Took a long time, but he made himself known. And he wants to make himself known to you in new ways, in new depths. He is a loving God. And he is a loving Father. And some of us struggle to see that because we didn't have a loving Father. He is a forgiving God. And many in the church and way too many outside the church have a hard time touching that truth. They will only see it to the depths that we can live it out. I could tell you 30 or 40 stories like that young man's story. I've seen his faithfulness time and time again when somebody allows him into that place of the heart and reveals truth from his perspective. Do some deep Bible study for yourselves over these next week, okay? Your Bible's like mine. It's got a concordance in it. Focus on words like heart, forgiveness, mercy. Track down those chapters. Track down those verses. Feed on them. And ask him to do a new creation work in your heart. That's all I got.